When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, I'm Sai, and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, the home of the Danny Batten Fight Show. This is episode number 84, and tonight we will be talking the latest MMA and boxing news and cards, plus, of course, UFC Fight Night from last night, which included the return, controversial return, some would say, of TJ Dillashaw after two years out following a a ban for illegal substances, but uh, from... uh, We've also got uh, Joe Joyce was uh, fought last night in the boxing, which we'll talk about a little bit. And, of course, we'll be talking to another top guest from the world of combat sports. But uh, the show is, as usual, live on Facebook, YouTube and Twitter. Ace Podcast Nation, of course, you're home to many other great shows and series featuring top guests, expert analysts and more. So please do give us a follow on social media. Subscribe to that YouTube channel. Click the bell for notifications. And if you prefer your podcast in audio form, you can now find the Danny Batten Show and all the shows that Ace Podcast Nation produces at the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social is the first UK's first pod, all sports podcast network, easy for you to say. Um, but they're all still in the usual places, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Apple, Google, all those places. They're all still there, iHeartRadio. But the only change is... You will now find the Daddy Batten Fight Show under the name the Danny Batten Fight Show instead of under Ace Podcast Nation. So tomorrow morning, if you search Danny Batten Fight Show, you will find last week's episode featuring Jack Elgin and tonight's episode as well. Uh, but do spread the word about that because what that enables us to do is um, is separate the fans a little bit because there are people who like our shows but they only like the fight shows or they only like the football shows or they only like some of the other series that we do so now they've been separated but they can all be find found at the sports social 
Sports Social Podcast Network. And uh, very happy to be on board with those guys, a lovely bunch. And uh, looking forward to taking this show and the channel onto bigger and brighter things, as it were. But uh, joining me as ever is former Cage Warriors champion, UK MMA legend. It is Mr. Danny Button. How are you, mate? I'm very, very good. And boy, was we treated to a good UFC. There were some amazing fights, amazing fights, a real treat. Yeah, it was some good, good stuff last night. Some uh, some very interesting fights, indeed. I was really, uh, I was watching with interest as, uh, obviously, the big story, of course, is TJ Dillashaw made his return. But um, there was just a couple of good flyweight fights on there. Um, yeah. Particularly looking forward to Kyla Phillips's fight. Didn't go perhaps the way I was thought it was going, but it's so enjoyable to watch. Some really good technical stuff. Some good brutal fights as well, which we like. Um, but, uh, of course, joining us is another guest from the world of combat sports. I am delighted to say that we are joined by Cage Warriors MC. It is Mr. Howell Chaplin. How are you, Howell? Not bad. How are we, lads? How are we doing? Excited to be on the show. Well, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to it, mate. It's been good stuff. We uh, we have been we have been blessed with some phenomenal guests from all sorts of uh, different levels of the sport, different jobs, different companies, boxing, MMA, whatever it may be. Coaches, uh, been very very lucky, and uh, I'm excited. Obviously, we had uh, your colleague uh, Ricky Wright on. Uh, must have been about a month ago, I reckon. Yeah, um, and it was it was it was interesting to hear like because it's a different. It's a different side to it, isn't it? It's a di- completely different view to everything, you know, even down to the shows each time. You're seeing a completely different way to the fighters to see it, to the way Danny sees it as a coach now. Um, you get a front row seat, as it were, to the <laughs> some of the I mean, Cage Warriors. We've been putting on the best fights in Europe easily uh, over the past 18 months, but I mean, over the last couple of years, probably. But in COVID, particularly, um, those trilogy shows have not only been a a godsend in in terms of something to watch for us, but it must have been phenomenal to witness some of those uh, some of those fights. Yes, uh, it's the best in the house. I'm uh, blessed and privileged to have it, and um, yeah, it's wicked. I mean, as an MMA fan, uh, like from a selfish perspective, not having fans in the building has allowed me to really explore my kind of more geeky side in terms of being able to listen to what corner teams and stuff are saying, and like I find that really intriguing. So uh, yeah, it's been it's been awesome. I mean, I've just been grateful. Cage Warriors have actually been able to put on shows in these mad times, um, and they've been able to kind of jump to all the hoops necessary to give us uh, to give us a sport we sport we love. So shout out to them. Indeed, yeah. How, how weird has it been without fans um, in those you know for those shows? Because obviously, like you mentioned there, you could hear like you can hear the coaches, you can hear the fighters, you can hear every yeah. strike, every kick. Like that's got to be a very different experience to normal. Yes, it's it's weird. There's no getting away from it. It's strange. Um, and the strangest moments for me, like from uh, from my perspective as an MC, come when you expect to hear some sort of pop in the crowd or some kind of like raise in noise level, and you don't get it. Um, and the best example I suppose I can give you of that is like I think it's criminal that I announced Paddy Pimblett in front of an empty arena in manchester like 30 minutes down the road from where he was born that i yeah. say it every time that arena should have been packed to the rafters with scousers oh. 
screaming. But you finish saying the name Paddy Pimblett and his music kicks in, which is awesome. Like, that's sick. Love his music. But there's nothing, you know, just show his corner man going, woo, yeah. Like, and there's nothing else, which is, that's the weirdest part. Um, I, mean, but I mean, we've seen it across across all sports. Um, I know, like, with the football, they piped in the crowd noise and stuff. Um, but, like, if you press that, that red button and you kind of, you get the the uh, picture without the crowd noise. It's weird, like, you get the third of the ball and you someone scores and it's kind of like a much more empty kind of affair. Similar, I was watching the Lions um, yesterday and uh, that's another weird one with no fans. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's strange, isn't it? Because, like, I remember, I still remember the first show that me and Danny sort of talked about <clears throat> after the there was with no fans, and we were a bit unsure about it. We were like, mm, I'm not sure how I enjoyed that. I'm not sure how this is going to be watching this week in, week out. Is it going to be the same? But it soon became very enjoyable because you did get a whole different feel to everything because you yeah. could hear every strike. You could hear like how powerful the strikes were, how much damage they were really doing. And sometimes you perhaps don't see that on TV because of the noise of the crowd. Maybe it takes a bit away from the, you know, the impact of the strikes in some ways. But I think, um, allows, go on. I, I think it allows you to view a fight a bit differently as well. Um, like you've got a hometown favourite who like lands like a, a bit of a glancing shot that doesn't really do much. But there's got loads and loads of support there. Like the arena just erupts with noise oh. and you think to yourself oh did, did he catch him like you're caught up in the emotion even though you sat there in a neutral position with no skin in the game at all you think oh yeah maybe that did land it these thousands of people can't be wrong surely oh. uh, so so yeah you're looking at fights from a totally different perspective yeah 100 percent. i am um, so what i like to do um howell is with the guests is i kind of take them back to to the beginning, as it were, but um, when did your interest in MMA and combat sports begin? So, I'm interested in combat sports, I suppose. I started doing karate, no karate kung fu when I was about six or seven. Um, and I, I really I enjoyed that, followed that through until I was about 12 or 13. Um, I kind of went off the boil a bit then. Just as, you know, as a teenager, doing general things, teenagers do want to be involved in other things. Kind of realised that women existed, all that mm. stuff. Um, and then, uh, I guess I got into MMA. Um, I was friends with Jack Shaw in school, um, so like we were we were in the same same year group together, and we kind of went up to school together. Um, and there was like a, a group of us who, I mean, uh, Jack was the, the kind of the, the driving force behind, I suppose. A group of us used to bother together, and I think my first introduction to it was probably I bought the the UFC game, the Xbox Three Sixty, uh, and that, that was my first kind of like introduction to it. Um, and yeah, I kind of just uh, fell in love with it from there. Um, mm. You know, started watching, um, started watching a little bit on YouTube of MMA and stuff. Um, I started going. And training and uh, doing a bit with Richard Shaw at uh, what was Tulane Combat. Um, and yeah, I really liked how um, multifaceted the sport was there. Obviously, uh, in in other combat sports, it's, uh, it can be seen as maybe one-dimensional. Where, you know, you, you've got your kickboxing, your boxing, stuff like that. It's focused on one arm. I love the fact that uh, 
this was kind of a, a multitude of arts. And back then, it was kind of like uh, late 2000s, creeping into the 2010s. So it was still a little bit like striker versus grappler, kickboxer versus wrestler. So that idea of like different styles colliding, um, that was like, that, that was really interesting to me. So yes, that was how I kind of got into it. How did you go from kind of like a fan who, you know, did a bit of training as well to to being an MC and an answer and getting um, that front row seat that we discussed? So I used to go to shows um, with uh, with Richard Shaw. Um, he ran shows like Samurai Fight Night and Pain Pit, uh, which is now Cage Warriors Academy Wales. Used to go and... Um, there were a few of us who trained at the gym. We were about 14, 15 at the time. We'd go and we'd set up, well, we'd help set up. We'd kind of like put the mats out in the changing rooms, um, put up like some bananas, jam cakes, and water for the fighters, and things like that. We were, you know, general kind of running around behind the scenes, day of the show kind of jobs, uh, putting flyers on seats, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we'd stay, we'd watch the show. Um, we'd help her pack away at the end. Uh, when I was watching the show, I'd always say to the boys, I, I think I could do that. Funnily enough, it was Ricky at the time. I was watching, I'd say, I, I think I could kind of, you know, I'd like to have a go at that. I enjoyed amateur dramatics as a kid as well. Um, I said, oh, I think I could do that. And of course, they'll say, oh, shut up. You couldn't, whatever. Mm. Like, don't be stupid. <laughs> um, yeah, and I kind of maintained that. And, you know, I, you have a play about, don't you? Do you know what I mean? We'd, we'd all be together watching the UFC and uh, t- turn the volume off. And he said, oh, go on then, do it, do it, have a go, have a go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I went away to university and I had a phone call off Ricky Wright saying there was a show in Lashley that needed an MC. He couldn't do it. Um, I went to university in Carmarthen, which is about 30 minutes away from Lashley. He said, do you want to do it? So a place called more of a social club, kind of like a working man's club. Probably about 200 people there. Do you fancy a go? And I thought, yeah, I'll have a crack at that. I've got nothing else to do. Um, but if I remember rightly, I went, did the show, came back, and went straight out on the town. But, um, yeah, that, that was my introduction to it. I went out, uh, did my first show with Lashley, and I kind of snowballed from there. I picked up with a white-collar boxing promotion called H46 Pro, who I work with. Um, mm. and then uh, I covered a Cage Wise Academy Wales show um, because they needed an MC and that's how I ended up doing the shows for Cage Wise Academy Wales and then uh, I'm still doing the undercards of the Cage Warriors shows in Wales so like um, when Cage Warriors would bring their number cards to Wales I'd do the amateur undercard and then hand over to like Andy Freelander and obviously the whole kind of Cage Warriors press team would take over. Um, yeah. And then fast forward a couple of years from that, they needed someone to fill in for Cage Warriors 99 in Colchester. And I had a phone call saying, will you do it? I said, yeah, definitely. Um, I went up, I did the Cage Warriors 99 show and then... I had a phone call in February asking me if I wanted to, to take the gig on, um, you know, as, as the regular MC. And I said, yes, please, Mr. Boylan. And that brings us to where we are now. 
Amazing. It really is it's incredible stuff. It's, it's, it's amazing how those those almost um, those little chances that just happen, you know, maybe just because you know someone or, or whatever it may be, just being in the right place at the right time can kind of change just the way things are kind of heading and whatever, like, you know, if if you weren't friends with Ricky or, or, or Jack and those kind of people and you were like just in that right place and the right time, you might not have diverted, or I don't know what the right word is, I suppose, but you might not have been able to have that opportunity to to do those MC yeah. MC those early shows, I mean, and obviously I remember, you haven't looked back since. Like, yeah, I remember before my first my first ever training session, um, you know, being quite nervous. So something new. Am I going to be any good at it? Like, if you ask anyone who knew me as a kid, I had two left feet, couldn't kick football for love no money like uh, you know was was terrible at sport i was thinking myself oh this really a good idea like am i mm. you know am i am i just set myself up to get a bit of a paste in didn't really know what i was letting mm. myself into but again i think to myself like what you know what if i'd let that fear kind of grab hold of me and say oh, oh actually i'll give it a miss i'll do it next week and then you never end up doing it do you so sometimes i do think back and i think you know that's a that's a tiny moment but if i didn't take my opportunity in that moment then all these kind of things wouldn't have snowballed to bring me where I am today. Incredible, that is. I, I do love, I love it. Stuff like this. Um, like Danny, there's a lot to be said in there. Just like um, life as a whole, and you know, not just for Howell, but for anybody. It's um, it's like some. It's amazing how you just end up in the right place at the right time to to get the opportunities which can open doors and take you into fantastic uh fantastic places and opportunities and i mean look howell is one of the best in the business hasn't looked back at all whatsoever since those those early shows um you you know you only have to take a little look on social media and and places like that when cage warriors is on to see how highly people speak of howell as a as an mc but also like the people from within cage warriors about how highly they speak of him as a, as a person as well um but yeah what what do you say about being in the right place at the right time danny yeah absolutely i think it's um a case of having options and eyes and ears open at all times and along with that i think when you put your feelers out and you put it to people that oh i, I think i could do that job you know just him saying it obviously took him of interest i mean for me it would it's so far from what i'd ever imagine that i'd ever attempt to do that you know it's nothing i ever spoke about and um but we're all different you know for me i went down the scrapping route and for how he's gone down this route and you know he got given an opportunity because ricky knew that he was interested in perhaps doing something like that and he filled a spot and he never looked back from there opportunities started to to present themselves for him and i think it's great um you know we, we can talk about nerves competing but I think that's nerves on a whole different scale and different level to be oh, doing something that, that I you have. I, don't know, I, mean, that. I mm. don't know how you do it. I, I find it very, very hard I, to do. I personally I, think. I, I get I get out of the cage before before the hard work starts. I get in, I say my piece, I get out, I watch mm. one of the best spectacles on the planet. And then I get in and just tell everyone what's happened. I always say it. Like my, my job's definitely easier than the fighters. People come to me and say, oh, I couldn't do your job. Mate, I couldn't do your job. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's awesome, yeah. of course, at the end of the day. Oh. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely think the fighters have got the tougher end of the stick. 
<laughs> I do so I do say a lot of the time to, to some of the fighters that we speak to, um, when you've got a job which just involves being punched in the face every day for a living, it's kind of like it's one of them and it's you've got to have a certain mentality and a, a certain um what's the word? I don't know, certain intensity and, and, and toughness about you, both mentally and physically, to be able to day in, day out, put your body through um you know what these guys do, and they and then make no mistake, they put their bodies through a lot. Um, Danny, have you come across um Howell on the Cage Warriors circuit much? Well, not ever to talk to, um, because whenever I've seen him, when I've been at Cage Warriors, I've been it's obviously you're rude, mate. You ignore well, there, there's that point to it. <laughs> Same thing every time we have a guest. The truth of it is I'm there to do my job and he's very much there to do his. And, you know, you get designated areas and, you know, how will be going from, you know, cage side, literally, and then in the cage to do his bit and back to cage side, kind of like a ring girl, but not so pretty. And, hmm. uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm in the changing room. So, you know, I'm, only out very, very briefly. And that's intense when I'm out there and um, calling for, for, for my man. So, yeah, I, I have seen him numerous times. Obviously, I know who he is. Um, I know he's very good at his job. And um, I don't know whether he recognises me from, you know, being around, you know, multiple times around Coach Rush. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, it's just one of those It's just, you know, it's weird. You, you feel like you do know him in a, in a weird way. I feel like I do know how, although I don't. Yeah, I just yeah. know him for what I know him to do. Um, but that goes to show that he's doing his job well in a weird way because um, I, I just accept that he, he does what he does. I don't ever think, oh, that Howard Chapman, the guy that looks awkward and embarrassed to be. I don't think that. I just He does it and does it well. It's kind of like a ref, really. They're there. You know they're there. But a really good ref, you don't see them, if you know what I mean. They're doing their job so well. It's about the fight itself. It's very, very much about the fight. It's about delivering the information about the fighters in a really good way and about drumming up that crowd with good vocal skills. And, and that's why I say it's quite hard to do because I think I'd get up there and get a little shy. But, um, yeah, you don't. You say it with authority. You get the crowd up. And it takes certain personality types to do that. I know you say about you had two left feet with sport, but you talk well and you put information over very, very quickly, uh, very, very clearly. Uh, and with good vocals and it's not something that many of us can do and it just comes easy for you and that's great for you and fighting comes easy for others that's great for them and uh, that's the interesting thing about the world and that we live we've all got different directions that we go in you've got yours we've got ours and it all works great and yeah you, you're good at what you do you're definitely good at what you do <laughs> thank you mate I appreciate yeah that's all right um, <laughs> how old you, you mentioned like you used to do a bit of training and stuff were yeah. you ever kind of at a good enough level to maybe do it, you know, amateur or, or, or sort of look at it as a career, I guess, as a pro fighter? No. <laughs> no? Do you still train? Do you still no. train now? Uh, not currently. Not currently. Um, I've dipped in and out over the years, and I dare say I'll dip in and out in the future. Um, but no, I was never, never at that, that level to kind of make a – make a career out of it i i don't think personally um i enjoy the sport i still enjoy the sport um you know i enjoy grappling um yeah I, I, yeah i did a couple of grappling competitions um when i was mm. about 17 18 something like that 
um, did some juvenile grappling competitions. I think uh, like uh, for uh, for Jack Shaw's first ever amateur fight, I think I jumped it, jumped in, and uh, there were a few of us obviously around the same age group. Um, this was back when amateur was like uh, body shots, standing up and on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I jumped in for a couple of sessions to kind of to make the bodies up in fight camp. So that was cool. That's a cool thing to to have done. A really enjoyable thing to have done. But no, I don't think I would have ever um, ever been able to take it to uh, to the level. You know, I don't know. Maybe I could have been a punch bag on a cage wise prelim if Ian Dean was really <laughs> desperate. Maybe. <laughs> but uh, but, but prob- probably nothing more than that. What about um, like interest in in other sports, boxing and things like that? Is that something? Are you are you predominantly an MMA fan, or do you follow like boxing and rugby or football or anything like that? Um, I like more sports. To be fair, Is it? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I like more sports. Just can't play them very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I uh, yeah, uh, like I like the boxing. I follow that loosely, like MMA. Um, I like golf as well. Big into golf. Um, yeah, I like the rugby. Um, obviously, it's kind of bred into us over here. Um, yeah, I think I'm the only Welshman in, <laughs> in in Wales who doesn't like rugby. But oh, you, you must be shunned in society. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> the, the odd one out. I do watch the the Six Nations. I watch, um, and probably a good job because I met my wife through watching rugby in a pub. Ironically, because we're both at the time we're like season ticket holders for Cardiff City. And we met right. over rugby, but there we go. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not one for rugby, which is strange because most Welsh people are. But I, th- I know there's a couple, couple of us around, around. But we are predominantly outnumbered, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, what about like uh, like influences, Howell, in terms of as you've sort of um, kind of developed your own style and and stuff like that as an MC, I'm assuming that your very first time of MCM when you got that opportunity to the most recent Cage Warriors trilogy, your your style, your confidence, the way you do your job has probably changed and evolved over the over the that time. Um is there anybody who's either helped you along the way or anyone maybe who just sort of is a bit of an influence on you? Yeah, um, I mean, in terms of help, uh, I've had lots of lots of help um, just along you know along the way along the journey meeting good people. Um, Ricky Wright obviously helped me. Um, I actually shadowed him before I did a show, um, and he kind of showed me how he wrote his cards, how he kind of got the information off the fighters, all that kind of basic stuff that you know it seems obvious now, but going into it, you think, oh yeah. I actually do need these guys' heights, weights, all that jazz. So actually, you know, I can't. I haven't got a tape measure where I measure them on the spot. Like, do you know what I mean? So I need that yeah. information beforehand. Um, so Ricky gave me a lot of help with that. Um, I, I never forget my first show. Um, I sounded like um, a pound land Bruce Buffer. That's the best way I could describe it. Uh, it was terrible. Um, and then Richard Shaw gave me an opportunity to do some of the fights on the undercard of his. Um, show which was like maybe a month or two later to give me some experience. Um, I remember doing my sound check. I was doing this really bad Bruce Buffer experience, uh, Bruce Buffer uh, impression. I just remember going, "Stop, stop, mm-hmm. stop! What is with the accent?" Uh, so that kind of that's where I really focused on just kind of having like a neutral accent. 
Um, and it's kind of developed from there, yeah. Um, I guess influences. I really enjoy watching Joe Martinez. Um, I think he's a class act. I used to really enjoy Spot going on. to Cage Warriors shows and watching him do his thing. Um, there, that was that was literally part of the reason. Obviously, I love the fights as well. But yeah, Joe Martinez um, was a big influence on me. Um, obviously, Bruce Buffer, I really liked his kind of... Um, I liked his flamboyance, if you will. Yeah. Um, I liked the way he did things, the way he was you know, he's very enthusiastic and passionate. Um, and I like that because I like to think that's something that I try and bring through uh, in my announcing. I try and try and through my passion for the sport and my enthusiasm for it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously doing the undercard of Cage Royal shows, I had lots of chances to speak to Andy Freelander, who um, did the MCM before me. And again, he was really helpful in terms of just talking to him. And just, I try my best um, to kind of be like a sponge when I'm around people. I always think of it. You know, is that, um, that, that old saying that if you're the smartest man in the room, then you're in the wrong room. Um, hmm. You know, I like to be surrounded by people who, uh, who I perceive as being maybe more knowledgeable or better than me, and just trying to be like a sponge and really kind of uh, soak it all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know, soak up all the knowledge and the information, and uh, and just con yeah, just constantly try and like improve and evolve. But yeah, as far as help and influence goes, I think that's uh, that's that's kind of and that's kind like of it, well. I like it, mate. And then, you know, over the years in both boxing and MMA, there's been so many like really top level MCs and announcers, but also they've all got their own spin and they've all got their own kind of twist on things and how they do it. And I think, and I'm only saying this from the outside, obviously, but like I would imagine that when you first start, it's very easy to kind of mimic or fall into the same things that you see these guys doing on TV week in, week out, because that's like the natural thing to do, isn't it? But all, all of the most successful ones, both in the UK and you know, around the world, they've all got their own slight twist on how they do it. And I think yeah. that, inc that includes you in that as well. There's, there's definitely no rule book on it. Uh, there's, you know, there's no, you can't go anywhere and kind of read how to become a, 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 an artisan MC. That book doesn't exist. Maybe someone should write one. Um, but yeah, um, I think, that's the good thing about starting on small grassroots shows. You know, just like a fighter is not the same fighter he was in his first fight, his 20th fight. Mm. And same goes for a referee, a judge, an MC, you know, anybody. A matchmaker, uh, the whole lot of them. You know, you, you improve as you go on and you find yourself as you as you go on. You want to make those mistakes um, and those pitfalls and those, you know, kind of... Uh, 
ruts that you fall into. You want to do that maybe as early as you can and try and avoid kind of carrying those on later into your career. And when it when it matters more, you, every show matters. But obviously, you get to a point maybe where kind of uh, you know you're on a larger stage and you don't want to be making these these mistakes and. You know, so yeah, similar, same as everything else. You know, you go into a job, and you're better at it after two years than you were on your first day. Same applies. You know. Yeah, and how? Yeah, what about like the dress code? I mean, there must be sort of like things that are classed as acceptable and not acceptable, and and you know, and I've noticed some MCs are really brash with their expression of their clothing. You know, some of them have real snazzy shoes and. Yeah. You know, um, it, it is the fashion side of it, the way you present yourself as an MC, is that something that's quite important to you? Um, yeah, I always like to look, um, obviously I like to look uh, smart, um, but I always like to try and look a bit interesting or, you know, I, yeah. Um, I never want to be the grey man, um, you know, the guy who just totally blends in. I never want to overshadow anyone. Or anything, mm-hmm. um, but I always want to kind of stand out um, to a point. You know, I always yeah. Because I, 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 I think your style to a point. Yeah, if I remember right, your suit's quite bling, though, isn't it? From what I remember, you wear a uh, suit, don't you? It's quite bling. I've got a, I've got a couple. I've got a, I've got a green tuxedo and a red one. Yeah, that's pr- a that's one. pretty expressive. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, I mean, I guess horse for courses, I suppose. Um, you know, some people would prefer mm. not to wear uh, attire that's as loud. Others mm. enjoy expressing themselves more. I mean, for me, like, um, I picked up the green blazer just before we went to Cork. I actually picked it up the day after Cage Wise One Hundred Nine, which I believe was in Birmingham. I was walking mm. around. Um, or some shopping place there, my girlfriend, and I happened to see it in a shop, and I was like, I can't leave that there. I've got to call mm-hmm. next. Cage Wise returned to Ireland after so many years. I was like, that's perfect. I've got to pick it up. So um, so I did, and that was really cool. So it's nice to kind of just try and pick up different pieces, and um, yeah, it's, it's just fun to just try and pick up something new and different. And Yeah, I think... Uh, yeah. There's nothing wrong, particularly on those big shows and stuff. A guy who wants to stand out a little bit, look smart for the occasion, as it were. Because you know these are big, these are big, big these cage warrior shows now. They're they're big, big shows, and um, particularly when the fans are going to be back. There's going to be thousands and thousands of fans there. You've got to dress for the occasion. Um, just going back to something you said about you know people improving and uh, what you are for your first show. It's not what you are, you know, two years in or whatever. Like. I can't even watch my first couple of podcasts. Um, and if I had my way, I would delete them off the internet. And I've <laughs> I've nearly done it a couple of times, but I haven't. Um, they, I find them unbearable. But it's because there was nerves there. I was learning. And, you know, it was all different things. I was using Skype and just all different types of stuff that you evolve over time. Um, and like Reese has, just, Reese has just said in the chat there, you look at Canelo Alvarez when he fought Floyd Mayweather, when he lost to Floyd to now, is the difference is just incredible. Like he's you know now the pound for pound best fighter in the world and most likely would be considered up there for you know one of the greatest of all time for many. Whereas against Floyd, he got completely 
um, you know, out for out boxed. So it's it's an interesting thing, which you know, whatever you're doing, like you say, you just you get better, and you if you put particularly if you put the work in and the research in and, and the effort in, you're always gonna improve as you're going along. Yeah, um, I think the worst the worst thing for me is uh, I, I have to watch a show back um, to try and just pick flaws and pick holes in what I've done. And I think that's part of improving. You you can't, you've got to, you know, it's a bit like when footballers play a match and then they watch it kind of the Wednesday after in training. You've got to watch that. Even if you've been hammered 5-0, you know, even if you drop some absolute clangers, you've got to watch it because you've got to be able to pick up on how those mistakes were made, why they were made, because you don't want to make them again. Like you, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. it's bad enough when you think you you know, we've all got things in our lives that we can think back to. They could have happened fifteen, twenty years ago. And when they cut you know, when they pop in your head randomly you think, Oh that was you know, <laughs> you don't want to make you don't want to make that mistake again, you know. <laughs> so Come on, I spilled the beans on a big massage. Have you ever got like a complete name wrong or got people the fighters around the wrong way? What's the biggest mistake you've ever made? <laughs> so my, uh, the biggest mistake I've ever <laughs> the biggest mistake I've ever made. I once uh this was there's two, two mistakes I've made. Um the one was Josh Reed. Josh Reed, who uh, was a good friend, fights crazy under thirty five pounds. Yeah, crazy yours. Fights under thirty five pounds bantam weight. I managed in my infinite wisdom to once announce him at 170 pounds, mm-hmm. um, which was, and, and I said it, looked at my card, I thought, what are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. it was too late. Like, it was too late. It's done. And, and I had to move on. The other one, uh, my very first show, referee was a great guy called Chris Jones. Um, so I was in the cage, I was nervous. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're in my prom suit, like <laughs> properly nervous, like, uh, my legs were shaking, kind of jelly. Um, and on his shirt, he had his name, Chris Jones, written on his, uh, uh, going across his chest. And uh, he shook my hand. Uh, you know, Ricky had told him I'd be doing a show. He said, I made all the best. You know, my name's Chris Jones. I'm refereeing tonight. Excellent. Great. Chris Jones, your referee. Got that in my head now. Turn the crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, your referee for tonight, Chris Davis. He literally looked at me. Says Chris Jones at the show. <laughs> so, uh, so that's, that's another one of my clangers I dropped. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's normal. That's natural, that isn't it? To to uh, so I think especially when you're like you're talking for a living, there's just this. It's gonna happen. You're gonna get your words mixed up, or you're gonna have like a bit of a brain. Yeah. Just a yeah, and be, because you're speaking for a living, it's once you've done it. There's no time to re- go back and repair it. It's it's in the ether. It's out there, and there's there's no <laughs> yes, going back. Yeah. There's no uh, there's nothing you can do about it. You just got to kind of own it and whatnot. Um, are you like like a really big critic of yourself in terms of like are you harsh on yourself when you would have made those mistakes? Does it play on your mind afterwards, or do you kind of just see it for what it is and move on? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Yeah. I am harsh on myself only because I. Uh, whenever I make a mistake, I know that I can do better. So I am, mm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm filming at myself. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so annoyed at myself, uh, you know, so, and that's it then. Like, if I've got a show the night after, like, I'm going back to my hotel room, I'm running over every little bit of information I have until I'm happy that I've nailed it. Like, if I've made a mistake that night, I'm going back to my hotel room, 
I'm running over everything until I think it's absolutely golden. Yeah. Um, but I think that's how, I don't know, for me, that's how I kind of improve. That's how I write those wrongs by saying myself, yeah, I'm going to be... 100%, mate. I'm going to be better next time. What, um, how's it been with the trilogy shows? Because obviously, predominantly over the years, it's been like one Cage Warrior show at a time. And then yeah. this last sort of year to 18 months, it's been three on the bounce, like three days in a row, back to back. That's another kind of new experience. That's another thing where you've got a, you know, you've got a lot more work to do in a condensed, you know, three day period, haven't you? Because you've got all those fights each day. Yeah, um, I really like them. Uh, the the worst part is um, obviously you have like a three month gap between yeah your last show and then your first show. So your first couple of fights in your first show, you're just kind of checking in with yourself to check that everything's going as planned. But then what I love is the fact that when you come to the last show, it's like falling off a log. You know exactly where everything's going, bum, bum, bum. You know, you, you're going like clockwork. You're really into it. So I love that aspect of it. Um, and in terms of kind of having more work to do, like, yeah, I have more work to do within three days than I normally would from an MC in standpoint. But, I have the same amount of work to do as I would for three shows, if that makes sense. It's no, mm. no different, you know. They just, they just back to back to back. That's that's the biggest difference. Um, I have to kind of try and look after my voice a bit more, I guess. Um, in terms of, I, I've got, I've got quite, quite good at it now. Um, in terms of knowing how much I can push myself, day one, day two, and then day three. I've said I've got good at it now. I'll drop a clanger and I'll mm-hmm. use it all by day two of the next time we have a show. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, uh, like, you get to know yourself and you realise, okay, I can probably get, I can give this much on day one with a big crescendo at the end, this much on day two, and now obviously day three, you, you've got everything left yeah. to play with. What about, um, well, I guess it's a question, um, what about if, like, you woke up on the day of, I don't know, day one, day two, and you've completely lost your voice. Is there like a stand-in or an understudy or someone who is ready to kind of stand in for them? For um, you? So I would drink an awful lot of honey <laughs> and an awful lot of lemon and an awful lot of hot water. Um, and I would do my utmost to get there. Uh, if not, yeah. I guess the honours may fall to somebody like Brad Wharton who's obviously comfortable around a microphone or maybe Dan Hardy, Dan Strauss, yes. somebody like that who's already there. Um, that, that would be my, my guess. Um, yeah, I was just wondering if there was like a set person. Yeah, But yeah, um, yeah, you know, I, I try my best to look after my voice when I'm there. Uh, plenty of hot drinks. Mm. Try and cut out like the chocolate and uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff that's bad for your voice until um, until after the shows. But uh, yeah, there would be somebody there, part of the broadcast team, would be able to yeah. to fill the gap. I'm sure. Um, so Donna just asked in the live chat. She said, um, "Are you interested in the taekwondo at the Olympics?" And if so, what do you think went wrong with Jade uh, Jones? Do you think the lack of crowd would have in- impacted her as much as she said? 
So I have to be honest, I haven't actually watched the Taekwondo at the Olympics I've watched yet. no Olympics whatsoever, Which so it's difficult for me to terrible say. terrible faux pas on my part. But in terms of the lack of a crowd, I would say different fighters react differently to crowds. Some absolutely love it and feed off the crowd. Like, you know, look at like, like Pai Pimblet, he seems to adore the fans. Um, other fighters may have found it, you know, other fighters kind of find it much easier fighting in their opponent's backyard because they don't feel they have the pressure from fans. Um, so it, it depends. If she's somebody who thrives off kind of the push of the fans and the roar of the crowd to kind of push her into that sixth gear, then yeah, maybe it did, maybe it did um, hinder her, you know. Um, but uh, it's tough to say, like, all fighters are different, all people are different, you know, people react differently under pressure. Um, maybe she didn't feel as much pressure without fans, which could have kind of, could have been detrimental to her performance. Um, there's lots of contributing factors that, uh, that could have fallen into play. <laughs> yes, excuse me. Yeah, Danny, I suppose it's, um, it's one of those, isn't it? It's, there's so many different factors, like Howell says, which goes into it. But if you are someone like a Paddy Pimblet or any, I'd say like Jack Shaw, people like that who've got big followings, who follow them around wherever they go, wherever they compete. And, you know, and traditionally Welsh athletes do tend to have that type of following, which will, you know, whether it's athletics or rugby or football or wherever, wherever they go in the world, they take a following with them. I guess that would make a difference to you if you're used to having a bit of a following, wouldn't it? Uh, um, uh, it's a hard one to say. I suppose the, the best answer is really what Hal give that, you know, it, it really can depend on the person, I guess. But really and truly and honestly, if you're proficient at the sport that you do, you should be immersed in the moment and concentrating yeah. on who and what you're up against rather than the crowd, to be honest with you. Um Yes, it can change the the, the the sense of the atmosphere, I, I guess, beforehand. But in the moment, you should be able to switch yourself on. To me, that's part of the skill. And part of the skill of combat is to be concentrating at all times. I mean, you've got someone trying to throw shots at you. Um, and Taekwondo, I've done Taekwondo for many, many years. It was the first martial art I had done. Although in the Olympics, it's the WTF. I did the ITF, which is the semi-contact yeah. version. Um, but nevertheless... Um, I think with a crowd or without a crowd, you know, I, I'm concentrating in the moment. Um, you've got to be careful also as a competitor that when you start saying things other than what's directly involved with your camp or, or your body or, mm. or what happened in the, uh, the the actual event of the day regards your opponent, you're, you're really at risk of sounding like you're making excuses as well. Yeah. So even if that was a factor, I think that just goes to show a, a lack of, uh, ability to concentrate, which is all part of the skill set for me. Um, uh, I, I, I just wouldn't say it. So personally, not to criticise that. Yeah, the no, girl, no, because obviously she's well, representing her country. And... A follow up to what she said, like Donna's just put it in the chat, but I was just reading it on the BBC actually because I was surprised by what she said afterwards because she said um, that she normally looks to her family when she's competing, and she was lost without them. Now. That, to me, does feel... I don't want to criticise her, 
because look, she's just had a very disappointing result in you know in the Olympics in a massive um you know it's a massive event, it's a massive achievement to even be in the Olympic team and things like that. But it does feel a bit excusey. But she's you know, she of course she's extremely disappointed because she was looking to get a medal. Um she was, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe she was, you know, one of the favourites to get a medal. Um so she's disappointed. But does it surprise you to hear like a top level, Olympic level athlete talking about like in not interacting verbally, but like looking over to, to family or to fans? It's a bit of a, I don't know, it's a strange one for me, I guess, but I've never competed at that level or any level. So maybe I'm the wrong person to comment on it. Uh, well, uh, I, I used to have my brother and my dad they used to come and watch me fight. And um, I, I did, when I went out to the cage and I'm waiting for the other fighter to come out of it, but if, if I was out first, mm. you know, I would look out to them and, you know, give them a thumbs up. I'm all good. I'm raring to go. And, and quite possibly in between rounds, I think I've done things like that. But there's been many times when I fought overseas that they've not been there to do that. And it doesn't yeah. change for me personally. The outcome, and I think for, for most people, uh, I just think a natural instinct, human instincts sometimes from the embarrassment of an expected performance will detract from what was truly wrong, which was, uh, you know, not being as good as the person you was up against that day. Uh, you know, I don't want to sound harsh, but I kind of suppose I've got this harsh, harsh outlook because being a coach and being a competitor myself for many years, you've got to be honest with yourself and you don't want to be blaming it at any one thing. And uh, I don't know, it sounds so right what this girl was saying, you know, it, it could be making a difference, but to me that is part of therefore the problem because not all the time you can have your family there, unfortunately mm. for different things, you know, what happens if a family member's poorly and, and, and not there, what's she going to do? Not compete now because you think she's not going to compete so well if they're not there. I just think, you should be more focused on that. And it, it sounds horrible. It sounds like I'm being a complete dick, but I'm just trying to be honest. And I think... And here's a special with... surprise for you, Danny. Joining us yeah, now, live from Satellite, Jay Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know like if it sounds wrong, what I'm saying. But... No, yeah, I, yeah, I do yeah. know what you're saying. I do know what you're saying. And I think it's not to be critical of her and look, to compete at that level is phenomenal. I feel sorry for all the Olympic athletes because what they've had to deal with, um, first of all, with the delay for a year and, and then just where, since they've gone out there, the amount of um, COVID cases within the Olympic Village and it's got to be distracting. I don't care how focused you are and how like one dimensional, one like in the zone you are, it's got to be making those athletes anxious and um it's got to make them feel isolated because they must be scared to interact with anyone in case they end up with a with covid because there's so many cases within the olympic village and within the teams and within the coaches it's got to be distracting um andrew bridges says uh, you have to rely on your skill set especially if you have the opposition's crowd booing you and at the end of the day it's just you and your opponent yeah. And I think kind of, I kind of agree. That's a good way to wrap it up, I think, isn't it? And look, again, not criticizing 
Jay Jones permit personally. Like I would have loved to Jay Jones to have gone and got a gold medal. Um, just I guess just talking generally. Um, it's a it's a strange one, isn't it? Like because athletes, particularly and particularly in even in combat sports, like fighting, like Paddy Pimblet, for example, where every fight he's gonna there's gonna be like hundreds and thousands of scouts traveling to watch him. Jack Shaw, there's hundreds of Welsh people go and watch him. Um, you know, I'm talking pre-COVID and stuff. If you take that away, does it make it more difficult or more or easier? Or it's a strange one because yes, of course, they should all be, you know, all fighters should be completely focused on the job at hand. But if you are used to a certain level of support, it's going to be different. But then maybe this past year to 18 months, maybe that's changed that for everyone because people are used to competing with no fans. So maybe for Jade Jones, it was just difficult because it was the first time she had competed without there being fans in attendance. Whereas, so maybe we are being a bit overcritical. I don't know because, well, you know, uh, footballers, rugby players, cricketers, um, fighters, they've all been doing it for the last 12 months, competing with no fans without their, family and stuff being there so i don't know it is it's a it's a strange one um good question though don i like that one um yeah very good how will uh reese had a question where's he gone he said uh as the mc has any fighter surprised you by how friendly they were or how much of an a-hole they were should we say um <laughs> and you've got to say names <laughs> yeah well you know, so put him in a position isn't it I think every fighter I've come across really has been pretty friendly. I mean, uh, I try not to get anyone's way before the fight. Um, yeah. Similar to what we alluded to earlier on in the podcast, they're also there to do a job as well as I am. Um, of course. That's kind of why I try, not, I try my best not to interfere too much with like uh, fight teams or coaches or any, any of that, um, unless I know them particularly well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I thought it's been super friendly. I haven't touched wood had a fighter that's been an a hole yet. I mean, never say never. There's always time. Someone could call me out on my pronunciation of the name or something. Uh, but uh, no, nobody. Yeah, you know, I've not. I've not had any a holes or anything like that. Um, and every fighter I've met has been really friendly. I say this all the time. Like, <clears throat> you know, considering the nature of their occupation, fighters are some of the nicest people in the world. Like, yeah, I, I haven't. I haven't. If we had a I haven't fighters, met be a any. Place, I can say half of that. <laughs> yeah, they're more honest people. I, that's for sure. All the fighters that I've spoken to on this and the other shows I've do done, um, I've not spoken to one fighter where I've come away thinking oh, he's a bit of a dick. Like none of them, not one, not even a little no. bit. Um, mm. Maybe I've just been, you know, just lucky. I don't know, but I'm sure they're out there somewhere. But. There we go. It is what it is, I suppose. Um, go on. God, I was just going to say, I think there's a certain level of like self-confidence and self-assurance. When you put yourself totally on the line, um, like these fighters do, there's no need to have any kind of um, persona. And I don't mean persona as in like, you know, the McGregor effect in terms of selling the fight. I mean, mm. persona behind closed doors when you yeah. speak to people. I think that, you know, they bear all inside the cage, and I think the majority of the time they realise that 
there's no need to put up any kind of facade. After yeah, and I yeah. think even the ones who've got a bit about a bit of that arrogance about them in the build-up to fights, nine times out of ten, when the fight's over, they're <clears> the most <throat> humble human beings in the world, whether they've won or lost. You do get the odd fight where there's a bit of this or a bit of that afterwards. But the majority, even the ones with a, with a bit of needle in them, they uh, they they still are pretty humble in the way they go about their business afterwards. Yeah. Um, what do we think about the Paul brothers, Howell, from uh, from from your little corner of the world? Like, what do you think of them? Look, they are obviously businessmen, and they obviously do smart business because. People wouldn't pay that much to watch me fight Floyd Mayweather. So so they're obviously doing something right in that respect. Um, and can I blame them for taking the fights they've taken to make the money they've made? No, I can't. It's, no. Like They're making life-changing amounts of money. Yeah, of course you're going to take that fight. You know, you've got a family, <coughs> family to feed. You've got a family to provide for. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I'd take that fight if you were offering me that. Yeah, I'd get in there and get leather by Floyd Mayweather. That's, that's, you know. No skin off my back, no skin off my nose. But um, yeah, I mean, um, I think that what it's doing is, I, I think it's probably doing more detriment to boxing than yeah. MMA currently, because mm. it's kind of these like boxing exhibition matches, and you've got kind of you know uh, people like Floyd coming out to fight one of the poor brothers and all that. No, you know, I so I do think it's doing more detriment to boxing. Than MMA at present, um, but I mean, I, I like I didn't tune in to watch it. Um, I mean, the uh, one. Has anyone? Is... Uh, it, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but has anyone noticed about the commentary? How immature oh, the dread, commentary's been? How educated it's been? I mean, that makes the whole thing so much more unprofessional and. I, I, I was astounded by some of the things I was hearing. It, it was truly, truly shocking. You would yeah, have thought they would have had much better comments. It? it was awful. It enlightened me because I, I, I refused to... to so the it. trailer one, I think they had like um, they had Oscar De La Hoya, who was, to put it politely, off his box. Um, and yeah, I think Snoop Dogg was on one of them. And it's... It, it is what it is. You're going to get what you're going to get with those guys and where they are yeah. now. However, in that sense, I actually felt a little bit sorry for Jake Paul because Jake Paul's actually a better boxer than what people give him credit for. I don't think Logan, I don't think Logan Paul's ever going to be, you know, uh, a world-class boxer. I think he is a very popular person around the world or unpopular, whichever way you want to look at it. He can sell pay-per-views if you put him in there with the right person. Jake Paul is actually, dare I say, it, a decent boxer. Um, to the point where I actually think he might beat Tyrone Woodley because I don't think Tyrone Tyron Woodley has got the the power that he once had. And I think that's kind of for like whether it was the same with Ben Askren and um Tyrone Woodley, is like they need to have the power to knock Jake Paul out because Jake Paul's got the size, but he's also got the the boxing technique. He trains only boxing. He's been training. And I think what people don't realise with Jake Paul is he isn't just 
been training boxing for two years. He's been training boxing, I think, I can't remember when it was, but before he was like doing Vines and YouTube and all these different things that has made him popular, he was training boxing back then. So he has got, whilst he's only got, you know, a few fights professionally and they're all against, you know, like a baseball player and a basketball player and Ben Askren, yeah. who's a wrestler. Um, he has got boxing training under his belt. And I think people aren't giving him that credit. And I, I do think he'll beat Tyron Woodley, which for as an MMA fan makes me sad because that's going to be another. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. A kind of MMA fighter, which is going to go down, and then it's just going to be built more and more. And let's face it, the biggest fight that or the fight that Jake Paul wants and the biggest fight that he can get is Conor McGregor. And if he keeps beating guys from MMA, that's going to happen. I said, I think I said that to you, Danny, didn't I? When he first yeah. started saying stuff about Conor McGregor's uh, misses, I said that it'll, if Jake Paul keeps winning, it'll happen because just like they're good businessmen, so is Conor McGregor. He got a hundred million. He got a hundred million for fighting Mayweather and Conor McGregor versus Jake Paul will outsell that in pay-per-views by a long way. And that's why Jake Paul and Logan Paul keep getting these fights is because they're selling more pay-per-views than any other boxer on the planet. Even the likes of Canelo Alvarez and Anthony Joshua and, and Fury and all you know the biggest names in boxing, the Paul brothers sell more pay-per-views than them. So that's why they get the fights and that's why they pay them the money. People love to tune in for a freak show, don't they? That's, that's, people, people yeah, well, there's that as well, isn't it? There's just something about it, which you means you just got to watch it. Um, in terms of, just while we're on boxing, um, how do you think yeah. Anthony Joshua, if Anthony Joshua and uh, Tyson Fury ever fight, do you, who do you think will win that? I think Tyson Fury does him in six. I agree. However... Um, the longer it goes on without them fighting. So, like, if they fight next year, then I yeah. think Tyson Fury wins. If they don't fight for three years, then yeah. I think Anthony yeah. Joshua wins because Anthony Joshua's got age on his side. Um, Tyson Fury's yeah. going to... He's only going to get slower. And that's if Tyson... Like, if they don't fight for another three years from now, say, just for uh, plucking a number out of the sky, um, Tyson Fury has got to stay fit and sharp at his age with some of the issues that he's also had previously. Yeah. It's yeah. it's not a guarantee. And just like it's not a guarantee that he can you know, I do think he'll beat Deontay Wilder, but it's not a and you know, it's not like him turning up to fight a you know a, a bum for a lack of a better it's, word. It's not like one of those mandatory challenges that gets thrown in every now and then. Yes, it, it is know, someone he can Wilder lose to does right. Yeah, I, I think he beats Deontay Wilder, and I think he probably beats him relatively comfortably. Um, but uh, Deontay Wilder does have that 
knockout power that could catch him at any time. As we've seen, like when he, you know, when he clipped him in that first fight and he went down, um, I thought he was out. So, yeah. Wilder yeah. does have that. Uh... It's one of my favourite memes of all time, that is, is when um, <laughs> someone put Tyson Fury getting up from after being knocked down by Deontay Wilder to like the Undertaker's um, the Undertaker's music and, and him sort of rising from the dead. It's f- phenomenal. Um, right, um, Danny, I just want to, before we move on to the UFC from last night, um, did you get a chance to watch the Joe Joyce uh, about from yesterday evening. Yes, I watched watched it. Yeah. So, um, I got this thing with with Joe Joyce. Like he keeps the juggernaut as he know as he is known. He he keeps winning. Um, he's you know he's a champion. Um, he's clearly got something about him. But at the moment, I do feel like against the very best fighters in the world. I think he would get found out. But that's not to say that by the time he was to fight those guys, he will be good enough, if that makes sense, because he seems to always get the job done. Um, He can certainly take a punch. I don't think he could absorb shots like he did last night, trying to leave his chin out and and facing down the fighters. He couldn't do that against a, a Tyson Fury or a Deontay Wilder or a um, and AJ even I just because they've they've got another level of power. However, mm. you have to give him credit that he just keeps keeps winning, keeps going. Um, and I was, it's a weird one. Like impressed, but also a bit wary. I suppose would be the best com best way I would describe it. But look, I'm happy that another British heavyweight is moving towards a world title shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of re- really agree with much of what you said. In fact, all of it. Um, I saw, you know, some good fleeting parts of his game. Looks a little slow at times. Um, his head's a little stagnant. Uh, it, it was a little worrying that he was getting hit with the overhand, uh, both off the left side and the right side, kind of time and time again. Collis had his intentions to sort of uh, be a little bit like Van Holyfield. He was sort of like trying to circle in close with his head. He's given away some height and reach. And so he's having to use overhands to get in, but he was getting in a little too frequently for my liking. Uh, Joe Joyce lacks a little bit of finesse with his footwork, uh, which yes, can yeah. be something that would help get him out of trouble with those big, big hitters. And also guys that are going to match him for height and, and reach. Um, I just think what went into his favour a little bit was the fact that he had height and reach advantage and it began to play to his physicality style um, as those rounds rolled on, I do think it was a little bit of an early stoppage as well. Um, I don't know whether do you really you would agree. So I, I do. My, my my point would be if he taking shots, you know, throwing anything back. Um, eventually, the referees kind of got to say like enough's enough. Um, and he he wasn't really responding. He was just taking shots. Maybe you know, I I I don't. I would. I'm not like saying absolutely. It was a phenomenal stoppage and I I can understand why Takam was a little bit frustrated, should we say, but ultimately referee's job is to protect fighters. He wasn't throwing anything back and these are heavyweight boxers. You got to make sure that you're defending yourself and you're throwing things back. Otherwise the referee's going to stop it. The thing is for me, he was still intelligently defending. He was still bobbing and weaving. 
he was still trying to get his arms up. And to me, he was still throwing out a few strikes. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah, that he, he was getting landed on. Um, but he was not hurt previously. It, it was not like uh, in any other round or in that round previously to that episode of, of shots landing. So for, so for my mind, you know, there was no danger, no risk to the fighter in what was happening. Um, I don't think Joe Joyce would have kept up that pressure for very much longer from that moment that the ref stepped in to stop the fight. And I think we would have seen the fight go on because it would have been really interesting to see how Joe Joyce would have dealt with trying to put someone away, it not happening. This would have been a great experience. I think gradually feel that he was robbed of an experience to see how he would deal behind, you know, to have to sit behind a jab again, recoup again. Um, yeah, he's been robbed of that experience, I personally feel. But there's, you know, I'm not a boxing specialist. And, um, you know, Joe Joyce is a big old boy. And, and having numerous strikes by him, I'm sure is not nice um, on anyone's head. So, you know, uh, and also you've got to understand that your referee is in there. He's going to be very, very experienced. Maybe he saw the eyes roll. Maybe he got the signs with the footwork that, you know, we're not picking up on that this guy was getting hurt and he had to step in and protect him. So I do hold my hands up of my potential ignorance, but with the limited knowledge that I do have, and I'm going to admit that I have a limited knowledge on it, I felt that it was stopped a little early. And I feel like it would have been better for Joe Joyce had it gone on in preparation for stepping up to go through a little adverse, uh, adversity in that fight. And um, I, it just, we'll never know now. I don't know. Um, and, and again, to agree with you further, you know, there was a few concerning things that Joe Joyce was experiencing in that fight that you wonder whether, you know, if you don't put those wrongs right up at a high level, whether he'd be able to succeed. Uh, but time will tell. You've got to give the guy a chance to grow. And, and you know, his fight camp and, and his trainers, I'm sure, are well-versed in trying to improve and increment someone's level. And I'm sure they've been telling them the right things and getting him the right type of experience to improve his levels to take on those 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 bigger and better boys. So we'll just see. You know, time will tell. Yeah, he's got, um, he's got a very good team about him. He's got um, S-Jam Boxing. Uh, management team around him. Of course, we had Shane Watson from uh, S Jam Boxing on before. Um, these guys know, you know, they know what they're talking about. They're very good, uh, a good team to have around him. I just felt, look, I look, and I again, I'm no Xbox, Xbox expert. I watch much more MMA than I watch boxing. I just felt that against the likes of. A Fury or an Anthony Joshua or even a Deontay Wilder, if he got hit like he got hit by Takam, mm. he'd probably be out cold. But then maybe he wouldn't because he had, you know, he's shown he's got a chin. He did get hit and he was able to keep going. I did feel, I did feel like, uh, I didn't really feel like Joe Joyce was ever in trouble in at any point in the fight. I felt like he was always in control of the fight. Um, in terms of the stoppage, it is, I've just watched it again. Mm. Um, and having listened to what you said and then watched it back again, I can see why people think it was a little bit early. I think the big problem for the referee is he takes three shots with his hands by his waist without moving. He kind of just takes them and is just walking backwards as he's taking them. That's the only thing I can think of in terms of that, because you are right. He hadn't taken any big damage previous like in the round before or anything like that he, he wasn't but he did take three quite big shots with his hands down by his hips 
yeah. and he was walking backwards while doing it. So it's it's it is uh, what it is. Andrew um, Bridges in the chat said, if it was allowed to go to the latter rounds, maybe the outcome outcome might have been different. And I think the other thing to bear in mind is these are heavyweight fighters, and one punch can finish a fight, can't it? In at that you know at that weight class, mm-hmm. and Joe Joyce. The way he was boxing was walking him down. It's not inconceivable to say, as he got tired, that he could have got caught by a big shot, and then, you know, it's game over and the fight's over. Um, Joe Joyce is 30, thirty-five. It is kind of now or never for him, I think, in terms of stepping up to fight those top quality, top level fighters. Um, so we we shall see, I guess. Um, but look. You can only beat what's in front of you. He won. That's right. Um, yep. And like I said, I thought he was very, very comfortable um, in what he did throughout. I'd never thought he was in any danger, should we say. Um, mm. Right. UFC last night. Um, just overall, how old, what did you think of um, the UFC card? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I thought it was good. Really enjoyed it. I thought there was some, uh, some just some high-level MMA going on like some really enjoyable fights i know we had like um we had a few decisions but they sometimes you can get a bit of a boring kind of ground out decision but i didn't think they were particularly boring fights thought so they were really interesting fights i enjoyed them Good. they were them um, two fights i did watch on the the prelims which i know we're not going to talk about the prelims but i watched them because i was interested in the fighters was i watched mickey gall uh, who obviously beat CM Punk a couple of years back in his little stint in the UFC, and then kind of had a few issues, um, got found out against some, for lack of a better terms, proper fighters. Um, but he won via a rear naked choke in the first round against Jordan Williams, and I thought he looked like he'd addressed a big, some of the big holes in his game that he had been found out in. I'll be really interested to go to see where he goes because he's got quite a high level. Um, grappling game. So if he can improve his striking and his movement, I think he's got potential at least. So I'd like to see how he goes. Um, and another one was uh, Shajara Eubanks defeated Elise we- uh, Reed via a TKO in the first round. Um, I was really pleased to see Ch- Shajara Eubanks get the fight, uh, get the win. Um, I really like watching her fight, and I'm um, just looking forward to seeing what she can do now. Um, she looks like she's sort of back to her old self again. She looked like she had addressed some of the glaring issues that she'd had previously. So, um, we'll, we shall see. We shall see. Um, Danny, I'm going to give you the as the as the as the man with the name on the show. You can choose if we start with the main event and work backwards, or if you'd like to build up to it. Uh, we'll build up to it. Let's get some tension build up. Let's get yeah. It. So, um, Adrian Yanez defeated Randy Costa in the first fight on the main card via TKO strikes. Two minutes and 11 into round two. Tell me a little bit about this one. I'm just going to freshen my memory. One second. Here we go, here we go. <laughs> Hang on. I'm just clicking it. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Th- this was really interesting, um, actually, because Costa looked so so dominant in that first round, and had an un- a- an uncanny kind of swagger about his form, 
and, and when I say form, not set piece form, he's moving form. His hips were doing something strange. I, I heard the commentary say that he come from a karate background, kind of explained his round, very round, round kicks. Uh, they were really coming from the outside in, but didn't get any successes with those head kicks, although they was keeping uh, Yanez uh, busy and occupied and having to keep defending because obviously head kicks come in at you. You want, want to make sure your hands are in place and your footwork's in place. Uh, so they're not consequential. But then, of course, started getting eaten up with that jab. Uh, that jab was just like a laser beam and, and it just kept hitting him right on the nose. And Costa was just looking so dominant. I just wonder whether Costa slightly outstretched himself with his gas tank. He really, really did put it on him. And, and the number difference in, in, in the score was huge at the, at the end. But Yanis actually come on strong towards the very latter part of that round. And although it was nothing to try to claw back that fight. Um, it just took a little something out of Costa, both in his attack and both in his receiving of the counter-attack from Yanez. And coming out in that second round, Yanez, you could tell that he, you know, okay, received a little bit of damage, but was clearly calm and confident in his form and started pressing Costa back. Um, he landed a really good body, body shot, really good uppercut that downed Costa and Costa was kind of crumpled to his knees, kind of really began to fail both mentally and physically. And yeah, Yanis come back with an emphatic great win. Um, I think it's just a little inexperience on Costa's front, front really. I, I think if he had just reeled himself in a little bit with his energies, I think he would have continued to have his dominance more so on Yanis for the second round. I think Yanis probably, if the fight played out, he would have gone the distance. Yanis probably would have won that third round. But by then, they would have both been more debilitated to, to, to not on, on being unable to finish each other. But as it was, Costa overshot himself. Yanis come back in that second round really, really strongly and stole it away from Costa. Bit of a shock, really. Yeah, it was a, it was a really interesting um, fight. I just uh, really enjoyed it, i got to be honest. Um, Howell, what did you uh, enjoy about this one? What did you make of it? Yeah, it was really good. It was a really good fight. Um, like we said, Costa are really strong first round. Um, I actually thought, I thought he was going to come back out in the second round and kind of do more of the same. Um, but, uh, yeah, it wasn't to be. Um, I thought that Yanis came on really, really well in the second round. Um, and obviously we saw that then with the the TKO finish. Yeah, 100% mate. It's um it's a it's a big it's a big win for Yanis. Um I got to be honest, I think be interesting where uh, how he develops from that and he's got to he can use that as a stepping stone to really push himself off now because um you know Randy Costa's a decent fighter and then um, to you know to to finish him, I think Yanis can go on and really show what he's capable of doing and, and show his skills uh, in the biggest company in the world at the end of the day. So it's yeah. it's up to him to do that. He's, he's got to capitalise on it. If he goes and loses to against, a, I don't know, like just a similar sort of fighter and doesn't capitalise on it, it almost undoes that hard work, doesn't it? He, he needs to go and capitalise on that victory by getting another one and building up some momentum. Um then we had Macy Barber, rank 14 versus rank 13, Miranda Maverick. Um, Miranda Maverick, that is a, an incredible name for an MMA fighter, I've got to say. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, With Macy Barber picked up the win by a split decision, a very close fight, this one. Um, Howell, go to you first, mate. What did you, uh, yeah. what did you make of this one? 
it was a really good fight. Uh, it was really close. Like, it was, uh, you know, back and forth contest. Um, I mean, both these girls are really young in their careers. That was what I know at the start. Um, they're both both really young fighters, both pretty good prospects as well. I was, um, I mean, the issue is the women's divisions aren't as deep as the men's are there. I was almost no. a little bit surprised that they, that they met up. Um, I thought maybe they would have met a couple of fights on the line. But, yeah, it was... It was a good fight. I could see why it was a split decision. Um, I actually thought that Miranda Maverick maybe did enough to win it, personally. Yeah, I had Maverick um, um, two fight two rounds up. Two I was, yeah, <laughs> I was a little bit surprised, but it, it was close. It was, a good fight. it was a good fight. It was close. You got. I wouldn't want to call it. You can't argue with the decision, really. No, um, Danny. What did you think of Macy Barber and uh, just the fight overall? Um, I really enjoyed the fight because the the, the difference in styles. Um, uh, Maverick looked a little thicker throughout the, her whole body. She looked naturally bigger than Barber. They both struggled with each other's range. That might have been because they was opposite stances, maybe. But you know, Maverick was getting the better of that because she could dominate the centre of the cage and was pushing Barber very much to the outskirts. Um, and, and I felt that you know because of that, Maverick took that first round. In the second round, Barbara had her spells. Um, I, I think she started to realise that when she shot in on Maverick, Maverick was making a mistake with her arm position. She kept reaching around the head and trying to strike uh, with, with, with the arm that should have been staying in place as a wizard, wrapping around the far arm. Um, mm. you know, and, and this was getting her back taken at times. This was making her look a, a little vulnerable in that clinch. She definitely was making mistakes. She had to be really physical to try and draw herself out of those sticky situations. And it made Barber be able to then come on with the offensive striking in that second round. And it made it look a little close. But, um, you know, I think it was at the end of the second that Maverick ended up taking her back right at the very end. And I, I felt yeah. like this was enough. That If you have a look at the strike count, Maverick was ahead. If you have a look at the way the fight finished, she was on her back. You know, to me, she, she took that, that second round. Um, the third round, I would have given to to Barber. Um, she kind of got herself together better physically uh, with her energy levels and just looked more lively. And um, Maverick, it took something out of her those two rounds. Um, I think being a bigger girl, it looks probably likely that she's cutting more weight and mm. it began to tell on her a little bit with that round three. Um, so I definitely would give Barber, Barber that round three. But I was really surprised with the decision, to be honest. Uh, I, I'm, yeah, because again, you know, look at the strike count. It was in Maverick's favour, you know, quite substantially yes. for for her in the first two rounds and finishing with the back clean back take position. Yeah, I was a little bit disappointed for her because I think she's got great potential. As is Barber, because Howard pointed out really correctly that they both got very very young careers, showing some great maturity, but still things to learn. You can see that in their games, but they're great prospects for the pair of them. And it was close enough for it to, okay, it went the other way on a split decision. Um, you know, there was argument points, but yeah, push comes a shove. I would always uh, give the nod for Maverick on it. Um, she really, really did impress me. Um, Barbara just looked a little bit more vulnerable than she has in previous fights. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Um, but yeah, I thought both both showed enough uh, to, you know, to, to, to make it such a close fight, it was an enjoyable fight. Yeah. It was just, yeah, it was like almost like toss of a coin in the end. But, um, 
Next up was Darren Elkins defeating Darren uh, Derek, sorry, uh, Minna via a TKO via uh, TKO via strikes. Uh, three minutes forty-eight into round two. Um, Danny, what did we think of this? It was wow, uh, fast incredible, and incredible performance from both first and foremost, but um, you know, just really putting it on each other. Uh, that, that there was just exchange after exchange. I mean, really, you would have to take this fight and, and really critique it and micromanage everything that happened in it and, and literally stop the clock every 10 seconds throughout each of the rounds to process what went on. There were so many exchanges and such an exertion of energy on both parties. It was um, Miller that got the advantage um, in that first round and, and took that first round. He, he just had a little bit more control on the ground when he got it there. Um, not without Elkins um, having his display of chances. Uh, but Mina was really, really just impressing me with the constant attacking. And, and I began to think to myself, you know, is he going to be able to keep this up? Um, going into the other round, you know, he did keep it up. He was attacking. But Elkins, like he's done time and time again, you remember this guy's 37 years old now. <laughs> and um, he, he keeps himself in such incredible physical shape. And you could argue all fighters are fit. But one of the standouts about Elkins is that he always ends up winning because the other guy gets tired and, and he don't, he just keeps coming on strong. And that's kind of just what happened again with, uh, against uh, Derek Miller. Derek Miller began to fatigue slightly and missed a, a, one of many opportunities to try and pull off a submission, ended up putting him on his back and Elkins with his solid wrestling background, top, took a top position, started doing a um, crucifix top position and Mina just had no answers for it. And I think his answers weren't there because his energy levels were no longer there because he overextended himself like we were talking about in the the, the other fight that we talked about tonight. Mm. I felt like he just pushed it too hard. I think if he just held on to his energy and did enough to win that first round and, and didn't overdo himself, he could have perhaps controlled enough of it and paced himself enough to take um, you know each round in succession because he certainly showed the skills and the potential energy to ride through for those three rounds. But I just feel like he put too much in it. I think his game plan was to overwhelm Elkins, um, but it's not been done before and, and it didn't happen again. I, I think other fighters have to sit up and look at this fight if they're going to fight Elkins and, and think about trying to beat him another way other than trying to steamroll him through cardio because it's not going to happen. Because when he took control of the pace... Mina had no chance of getting back and looked truly, truly mm. vulnerable laying out underneath. Um, I, I think he momentarily escaped the um, crucifix position. I remember yeah, only a little bit. Back into it. And I think he got put back into it very, very quickly because he was so fatigued from all the multiple attacks that he'd done. So, yeah, it, it was just, a, 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 again, another energy level assessment of where you're at to try to win the, the, the whole process of the potential fight rather than just trying to win a round and winning it really Dominantly, a win in a round is a win in a round. You know, you don't have to overblow yourself. Um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, if you're winning, say, 50 strikes to 10, you know, you know, why try and add another 20 strikes onto it, you know, unless there's a real opportunity to put this fight away. I think sometimes people are burning up so much energy when someone else has got all their limbs and all their energies to defend those potential attacks. I think, I think uh, you know, something I teach my students is, Hold back a little bit of energy. Always fight at about 80, 85%. Hold that 20 to 15% back to either 
have the sense and, and the taste of blood to finish if the opportunity presents itself to push that little bit more and also have that little bit extra to get out of a position that you know is getting into a, a real nasty TKO type of scenario or you know a submission scenario to bust up a little bit of energy to get out there and then go at 100%. But these guys are going 100% when the other person's got 100% to defend. And of course, the natural cycle of that is the person putting 100% in is always going to obviously go into deficit at some point. And when you're getting counterattacked, you're now defending without the capability of defending it with 100% energy. Spot on, mate. Um, not a great deal to add to that. I mean, Darren Elkins's stamina and intensity is just ah, incredible. unbelievable. Uh, he's just non-stop and it's, he wears down his opponents, doesn't he, Howell? Um, Impressive, I thought. Yeah, he managed to weather a great storm as well, I thought. There was a point, uh, I think it was in the first round, where Minna chained together like three submission attempts in a row. And he managed to strike Like, Yeah, yeah, obviously, A, that's going to exert plenty of energy on Minna's part. But B, that's, you know, look at the confidence that's given Elkins. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when you look at the, you know, he's going to feel on top of the world from from getting himself out of those, those awkward positions. Um, and again, like Minner had a really, had a really strong first round. You can't take that away from him. But Elkins is just so durable. And there's a part of me yeah. that thinks is that that must be that's why Minner tried to chain those submissions together. Why he tried to finish the fight early because he knew he was so durable and he knew that it was going to be dangerous. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. The later on the fight dragged. So you know, did he think right? I'm going to go out there. I'm going to expend all my energy. You know, I'm going to blow it. You know, rightly or wrongly, I'm going to try and blow it all early on and kind of get him out of there and get him down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could be right. This could have been the game plan. Yeah, it could have been the game plan. Um, Did did you see how frustrated? uh, I mean, Elkins must have been feeling it because when he got taken down very, very quickly in that first round, you, you see the frustration and almost anger. And and he was kind of rabbit punching. Um, yeah, you know, with with some tenacity behind it, but not really not in a position to do any any hurt there. But he's literally punching out of pure frustration of getting taken down so early because he oh he's a very very good wrestler. I think he's really frustrated at himself. But you know, it started to go his way, and when it did go his way, he was making more of a consolidated job of it than Mina was. And I, you know, reiterate again, uh, Mina was trying to do everything he could against someone that had everything he had in him to defend. And when he was defending, he, he no longer had the protection of energy to, to defend himself properly against Mina. And there was a, one point as well where um, Elkins, I think he could have gone for an arm triangle, but he tr- just so decided to tie off the arms, which is, I think, something that he's obviously doing a lot in training. Uh, he tied off those arms into crucial position. And, yeah, it was just a great performance. And uh, like I say, you know, he's, what, 37 years old now. We've seen many fighters reach sort of this sort of 35 age and not looking what they used to look. He's look at every bit of what he's always looked, if not even better. Um, there's some fight in that old dog yet. Mm, 100%, mate, definitely. Um, next up was probably my favourite fight of the night. Uh, it was the flyweight bout um, between uh, Ralian Pav- Pavier. Uh, I'm sure you can correct, correct me on that, Howell, uh, as the resident MC, uh, ranked 12th, defeated Kyla Phillips, ranked 14. By a majority decision, 29-28 across the board. Although, um, sorry, 29-28, 29-28, 28-28. Um, what a fight. 
uh, how will you talk about this one? Because we gave Danny the limelight on the last one. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this was uh, exceptional. <laughs> it's a bit of a barn burner, wasn't it? I think oh, yeah. it's Hallian Paver. But I could be wrong. Paver Paver. Um, but yeah, it was. This was an absolute barn burner over three rounds. Um, it was brilliant. It was back and forth constantly. I really enjoyed it. Um, if I'm correct, I think there were some good scrambles in there as well. To get back mm-hmm. to the feet, um, there were some really solid shots landed off both guys, and you could tell by the end of it, they'd both been in a war and they'd both been in an absolute tear. Up. But for me, I think it was the the fight of the night, the best fight um, in my eyes. Anyway, I I really enjoyed it. Great fight over five rounds. Like I said, some of these fights can be a bit like you know you go over five rounds and it's a bit boring. This one definitely wasn't. This one uh, this one was of over three rounds. Sorry. Um, this one lived up to it. It was uh, it was brilliant. You know, I thought uh, I thought right. I'm gonna say his name. So I'm gonna wrong. I thought Pavia were deserved the win. I thought I thought it was the correct decision. Yes. Um, but yeah, really good fight. It was uh, it was a good fight. I just thought I was expecting beforehand. I think I had tipped Kyler Phillips to win. I thought he was gonna win, um, but. Piva was exceptional, I've got to say. Um, great fight, though, Danny. Brilliant fight. Um, you know, I, I agree. It was an exceptional fight to watch from start to finish. There's another one of those ones that you could stop it every 10 seconds. You would have a talking point about something that was going on with the fight. Yeah. Uh, Piva looked exhausted at the end of both the first round and the second round and looked like he was almost doubting himself at one point. He, he didn't get up off the canvas, did he, in between rounds? He was kind of in his own corner. Um, and so, that, you know, just that body language made you think, you know, is he beginning to crumble from Philip's energy? Um, well, regards to the decision, uh, you know, not, I'm not necessarily going to argue against it, but there is argument that Phillips perhaps could have been scored a 10-8 in that first round. It was literally so energy-filled. You know, you got to think, you know, at what point do the judges score a 10-8? I don't know. Um a little tricky one to know, but he really was dominant over uh, Piva. Um, I don't know. I don't know. So th- there was only that really point of an argument which could have perhaps changed the decision to a draw or, you know, h- however. But, you know, take nothing away from both of the fighters. They've both done a great, great, great job. The reason why I don't think it's fight of the night, I would say the main fight of the night was fight of the night. And, and my argument was that it was a higher level, um, uh, you know, a higher level, uh, two high-level people drilling it out. I think with Phillips and Paver, they were both scrambling so heavily that it was a little sloppy strategically, a little sloppy technically. Um, okay. I just think the pace was so, so brutal. I think because one was pushing the pace so hard, it kind of made the other person have to push so hard too. And they were both giving each other so many opportunities to keep reversing on each other. Um, whereas the main fight we'll get to, I, I just think that was a, a overall a high-level affair. Mm. Uh, and so for that, I would rate that the best fight of the night. But, it, I mean, it was it was still great. I mean, I love it when yeah. fighters just put it all out in there and, and you've got to respect these fighters for doing it. They, they both gave it their all. It's, yeah, and it's, at the end of the day, it is subjective, isn't it? At the, like, in terms of what people enjoy and, and whatnot. But um, I thought both this and the main event were exceptional. 
Um, it's really enjoyable. Interesting what you said though, Danny, about the, uh, you know, whether uh, Phillips, well, uh, Pie, was it Pivier you said or Phillips? No, I remember Phillips. ten eight. Uh, Phillips could have yeah, won Phillips. a ten eight round, which would have obviously changed things made up it more of a draw. And yeah, but again, judging uh, over these past, uh, even in just this past month, has been puzzling at times. I think is probably yeah. the easiest and most yeah. polite way to say it. Um, yeah, and I think we're just that's just the way it is at the moment, isn't it? It's just. Yeah. Until we get some clarification, we just have to kind of put up with it. Um, but uh, we had the main event, which was uh, TJ Dillashaw, who somehow is still ranked the number... Oh, no, I do apologise. I read that wrong then. Um, TJ Dillashaw making his return after two years out uh, from a performance-enhancing drug ban, uh, faced number two-ranked Corey Santagen, in a five-round fight that went to a decision, uh, with Dillashaw picking up the victory via a split decision. Hmm. Um, look, we were all on last week's show. Uh, myself, uh, you, Danny, and uh, our guest all were quite clear we didn't particularly want TJ Dillashaw to win, um, just because he's been a proven cheat, this, that, and the other. However, credit where it's due, to come back after two years out and not just fight, but fight the number ranked, the number two ranked fighter in the division over five rounds and perform mm. at that high level, you have to give him credit. Um, as long as he passes all his drug tests, of course. <sighs> That's he gets the credit then. But look, you it was very impressive. Yep. Who do you want to go to? I don't know. I say, I say <laughs> you, Dan. No, 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 let's go, let's go about Hal. TJ Dillashaw, go on, Hal. You yeah, let, let's go, Hal. TJ. Um, yeah. Uh, like, um, we were talking about it before we started the show. Two years out is a long time, especially at come back yeah. at the elite level. Um, you know, you see guys on the regional circuit about two years out. Admittedly, I'm sure TJ's been trained in that time. Um, but, you know, guys are out for two years, they come back, there's a bit of ring rust there. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Throw in the fact that it's a five-round main event against the number two ranked guy in the division. That's not an easy return fight up to two years off. Like, I don't care no, it is not. Know, how much you've trained. I, that's, you know, that's, not, that's not easy to do. I can't imagine. I'm not speaking from experience, obviously. But coming back against an opponent of that caliber, you know you've got the eyes of the world on you. I should imagine that USADA will be at his door much more frequently <laughs> than many other fighters. Um, yeah. He's probably getting those nice 4 or 5 a.m. wake-up calls a little bit more frequently than other people. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to come back to perform as well as he did over five rounds as well. Like he, I, I thought he performed well. Um, I thought he fought well. And like we said, as long as we find that he's not on pads, then, you know, well done to him. If he fought a clean fight, then he fought it well. For, for a two-year absence against top-caliber mm. opponent as well. 
Yeah, good yeah. shout. Um, Danny, what did you make of it, mate? Yeah, a great fight to watch from, from both. I was kind of surprised at how well Dillashaw fought again because of those two two years out. And, you know, I thought that he wouldn't be able to have the cardio um, without the substances that we know that he's taken. I, I've put down his extreme cardio to that. Um, but he performed incredibly well. And, you know, it always you have that burning question, you know, is he going to, is anything going to come out? Um, but, you know, let's really step up, step back from that and look at the performance for what it is. It was utterly impressive. It really, really was. And I think, you know, in my mind, he got the nod for the win as well. And Santa Higgins really been on a roll. He's been looking so super sharp. Uh, but there was one hole in his game and that, that was giving away his hips without having a reaction for an underpummel. He wasn't able to underpummel. He was always having to fight that, that hip hold. And he was losing cage time and he was having to use energy to break free from it. He's, he was getting his potential sharp shots that we got so used to see kind of potentially smothered. He, he couldn't just open up completely, although he did at times. He had success with that jumping knee, didn't he? That, that was really, really good and had more success, I feel, with his cross punch than he did his jab. Um, they were both doing the right sort of things that I like to see uh, of modern MMAs in these lightweight divisions, switching up their footwork all the time, switching up their attacks with their footwork, defending and counterattacking with their footwork in retraction, meaning that they got the, the right leg forward, left leg forward, and switching up their combinations like a true MMAs, uh, MMAs should. Um, so, you know, the, the, the performances on both part were, were incredible. But Sanhagen just made... Uh, a mistake on his hips, allowing the hip hold, um, which gave away uh, cage control time to Dillashaw. A little respite for Dillashaw because he had to work harder than Sandhagen for his combinations because he had to give away height and reach. So he had to really step in and, and chain together bigger striking combinations. And also did a very, very good tactical choice of, um, at times, purely hacking the legs of Sandhagen, which again is another really good call when you're giving away height to someone. You start hacking away at their legs because you can't always get access with your hands. I think this was another good choice. And the other thing that went against Sandhagen was his choices to do, um, you know, some spinning techniques and again, giving away his hips. Um, I just think because of his dominance in recent performances and the way he's got away with doing his spinning techniques, he continued with that delusion of dominance uh, against someone that could take advantage of those spinning techniques that, that, that he chose to do, which got his back taken and put him to the ground. I think without those intricate mistakes, I think he could have won it from the outside, but it just wasn't to be. He just didn't put in his game, in his training camp, the kind of things that were needed to decipher the puzzle that Dillashaw was putting and presenting um, in front of him. Um, mm. Dillashaw's I don't know whether that was his game plan, the way it went, or whether he just noticed there was a hole in Sanhagen's game or whether Sanhagen, because he was making these small tactical errors and was just sensing them and reacting to them, uh, which is even more mind-boggling because of the two years out. You know, Normally it takes a real well-seasoned, uh, regular competitor to be able to pick up on tactics and errors and take an advantage with reaction like he did. Um, yeah, I, I am jaw-dropped by the performance. I really, really am. I'm jaw-dropped by the performance. And as much as I disagree with what he's been caught with doing, stripping that all away, hats off to the guy. It was One it thing was you could amazing. say, though, mate, about TJ is, is when you, like, regardless of what he did, 
his fight I he, his fight IQ is was always up there with the best in the world like in terms yeah, of agreed. being able to adapt in a fight yeah. and change up things or own hone yeah. in on a, an opponent's weakness I mean we saw yeah. it do it to um oh I've forgotten his name what's the, the guy with the neck tattoo uh Cody Garbrandt oh, he right, did it yeah. to him twice didn't he where yeah. he just the one time he folded him up like a deck chair where he just completely changed his uh, his stance and he adjusted the way he had been fighting because Cody was just wildly swinging because he would, he had let the emotion get into it um, and he was so desperate to get after TJ Dillashaw because he had let his personal feelings get into it instead of being the technical fighter which had got him to where he was. He kind of went all in and he was swinging wildly and TJ Dillashaw yeah. adapted for that and knocked yeah. him out. Um, he was always very good at that. And yeah. I don't think, yeah. I think it's fair to say that that's not because of Peds. Yeah. But, you, you know, you can't take it away from him. Can You can't take no, away can't. the fact that he um, got caught cheating. And yeah, that's, he's got to deal with that now as a competitor, hasn't he? No matter what he does. Yeah. No matter how he could go and he could go on the best run any fight has ever gone on to finish his career off for the next yeah, couple yeah. of years, and he will always be. It will always be. Yeah, but he was. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's it's just. Yeah. Uh, he's got to live with he, that. He's going to get that. He's got to live with that. Absolutely. But I just want to say for any of the high level guys uh, out there that, that are watching and listen to what we say, but uh, what I've been saying, um, you know, have a look at some of those wrestling exchanges. And have a look at when when Dillashaw wasn't succeed, succeeding with his hip control, um, it was because Sanhagen did dig the under pummel, and mm. and there was a time when uh, Sanhagen dug the under pummel, shook him off, and there was another time he dug the under pummel, got driven against the fence, then pulled his arm out from the under pummel, and then got his back taken again. So he's got to improve his set fixed piece positions up against the fence, and also try to improve. That um, you know, when someone's shooting in on you like that, to dig that under pummel, um, so there, there there was constant safe zone that Dillashaw could keep could keep going to for safe respite, uh, you know, for some recovery, scoring cage control, um, and, and and that recovery was making him be able to go on these constant attacking runs, and yeah, so you know, really, uh, Dillashaw was doing the more faultless performance overall and if Tan Hagen lost largely because he had these exposed holes to his game that he couldn't put to rights within those five rounds unfortunately but you know if they look at this and critique it again this could be a great you know second run fight uh, you know obviously San Hagen's probably going to have to have a couple of fights to reprove himself this could be really interesting how they come at each other the next time around. Because I feel like Dillashaw is going to have to still do the same thing he's done in this fight. He's going to have to force that style um, on Sanhagen again. But Sanhagen, if he prepares right, could have more defensive skills for the successes that Dillashaw had and therefore be more attacking and counter-offensive. And uh, yeah, I think... My money, although was on Sanhagen this time around, um, I, I think second time around my money would be on Sanhagen because I think he's got the the, the the bigger physicality difference and and can put the small tactical changes to make it tip too far in his favour. Interesting. It's um, I tell you one thing: that bantamweight division is insane. It um, absolutely, it's is. just ridiculous. You've got stacked. 
you got like the champion in Aljamain Sterling, then you got Petty Yang, Sandhagen, Rob Funk, Jose Aldo, Garbrandt, Moan, Moraes, you got Edgar, you got Pedro Munez, Dominic Cruz, uh, you got Murab, you got Jimmy, Jimmy Riviera, Marlon Vera, Kyla Phillips, Phillips, and Cody Starman. And that is without, oh, that's just the top 15. You got people like yeah, Jack, Jack Shaw and guys like that who, like, we've all talked about in various formats over the years. Like, Jack Shaw will be in that that top 15 rankings, in my opinion, in the next 18 months, probably two years. Um, yeah. Just because if, he, yeah. if he's able to get enough fights in, he could be up there a lot sooner. Um, mm-hmm. He's that good. And there's a few others like that outside the rankings who are more than capable. I'll be fascinated to see who they give TJ Dillashaw to next. Because yeah, yeah. it's this weird thing where if he hadn't had the ban, he'd be like top five, probably. Um, yeah. mm. But because he's had the ban, he's out of the rankings, rightly so. Which means someone outside that rankings can have a real big fight in terms yeah. of name name value and and whatnot. Yeah, I got one question for you then before we finish. Would you like to see Jack Shaw versus TJ Dillashaw? Who's yeah, that to? yeah, yeah. I wanted to know. I wanted to know if how if he backed his buddy. See yeah, right. straight away. Yeah, backed him always, straight away. Always back, my boy. Yeah, I said. Um, well, me and Danny said he, we want to see him go on like a legend killer run and fight like all the big boys, like Jose Aldo, and, and just yeah. tap them all out. Tap them all out. Yeah, I get behind that. Yeah, yeah. Let Jack the legend killer show. That's where it'll be. Get on board with that. Yeah, but um, that would be a massive fight for someone because chances are they will it give it to. Give him to someone, you know. There's, there's no reason why TJ Dillashaw has to fight someone in the top fifteen at the moment. Mm. So, mm. but then they've just given him the number two ranked fighter as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We'll see, we'll see. Um, so uh, we'll be back next week. But uh, first and foremost, Howell Chaplin, thank you for joining us, my friend, for the whole thank show. You lads, it's been a not pleasure. just an hour, the whole show. What a man. It's been a pleasure. It's been good crack. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, next week, we are joined by a short MMA fighter, fresh off his victory last night. Levi Bachelor is joining us next week, which I'm really looking forward to because uh, he won you know, He won his, his bout via decision last week. So looking forward to that. And, um, yeah, it's going to be a good one. He's going to be a big name in a few years. Yeah, he's, uh, everything yeah. I've seen of him. Looks yeah, a real talented boy. Those leg leg kicks look brutal. Yeah. Um, so we'll be interested to see how it goes. Um, but we'll be back next Sunday, eight o'clock. Do not miss it. We'll be back with our guest, Leroy Bachelor. Uh, and if you like football, join us tomorrow night for the Andy Campbell Football Show. With uh, it's just me and Andy tomorrow. We're, we're a special show tomorrow, talking transfers, rumors, and previewing the season. But um, do check out the sports social uh, on their social medias, but also uh, please do give the individual shows a follow and and download the audio versions because uh, that's a new setup for us. So we're getting uh, getting used to it. But uh, in the meantime, have a lovely evening. 
and that uh, we'll see you next week for another episode of the Danny Batten Fight Show. Not star. Podcast Network.